And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach, and I am thrilled as always to be joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder from Stadium to break down the biggest storylines in college football this week in an hour or less. As a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. Five stars, because much like Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits, we want to make an immediate impact just like those five stars, um, and we appreciate your support. And Felder, we are all the way through to week six already, somehow, Season's been a blast. Season's been wild. We are coming off a weekend with about a zillion top 25 losses. We've got Penn State, Iowa, a top five showdown coming up, which I'm going to. I'm very excited for. Um, But yeah, we are flying. This season's been super fun. You have been, I feel like, thriving. I feel like we've been tweeting at each other at like 3 a.m. watching Hawaii games, which is goals. Yeah, no, I look, I am week six. There's still so much to go. But at the end of the day, like I'm I'm hitting I'm in the groove. That's what it is. And yes, I am yeah, I I felt listen, if I didn't we'll maybe we'll talk about it later, but staying up to watch Hawaii play Fresno State and and watching Jake Hayner battle, that was that'll be a thing that I remember about this season, just because kids got juice and he put them in a position to try and go out and win and a tip ball interception cost him a football game after he, for the last, for two weeks in a row, just has not been able to even move. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I mentioned this as it was happening, but I was sore from watching football that day. And, and you were watching Jay Kaner play through it and, and almost Will's team to win. But this is why college football is great, and which is also why, if you can stay up all the way through the late games, the Mountain West games, the Hawaii games, um, because weird, crazy things happen in those games um, that are just kind of perfectly college football. But let's let's start the show in in a more obvious starting point. Um, this is the the top five showdown this week. Iowa Penn State. It's kind of crazy that both of these teams have been in the top five uh, a couple weeks now and are in this position, but. There's a lot to like about both of them. I, I want to start with Iowa because I do want to do like an actual breakdown of both of these teams as we head into this game because I think it's fascinating and I think that there's certain strengths up against certain strengths, weaknesses, um, you know, against also strengths and, and it's just going to be a really fascinating matchup as we try to figure out, you know, kind of who the best team in the Big Ten is. But Felder, my first question is, do you buy – the idea of, of turnover luck. Like, is, is there something that Iowa is doing that is allowing them and this defense to 
pile up all of these turnovers week in and week out? Is it something that at some point they're not going to be able to force turnovers in a game and they're going to have to win it with their offense or just defensive stops or whatever it is? Like, wh- what is your take on the concept of, of turnover luck? Well, I think there's a couple different avenues here. There are forced turnovers, absolutely. There are offensive-fueled mistake turnovers that you have to either be in the right position, which is good defense to, to take advantage of, or and there are lucky turnovers where the ball bounces your way and unlucky ones where the ball doesn't bounce your way. Like, we watch every week where a running back fumbles, the, fumbles at the mesh and the ball bounces right back up into their stomach and they're able to keep that football and maintain possession versus it bouncing sideways and going straight to a defender that was there in the hangar. So, um, I don't know. Like, when you – like, I mean, I do know. I've, I've charted all of their turnovers, or specifically the turnovers in their three Power Five games, the, the two conference games, and obviously the Iowa State game. Like, when you watch it, what do you think? Do you think that that's sustainable? Um, I mean, so, so – that that's where I just keep like I, I feel like earlier in the season I was like well at some point they're not going to be able to do this, but obviously it's a really aggressive offense. I mean sorry aggressive defense. Um, you know they're they're flying to the ball when you have six different guys get interceptions in a game. You know it's not like it's just Riley Moss doing something or always kind of finding the ball or or forcing something. So. You know, when you're aggressive, I do think you're putting yourself in position. Um, and, and you have one of the best defensive coordinators in the country in Phil Parker, which I don't think, you know, we kind of talk about him that way. Um, this is a defense that has led the country in takeaways since 2017. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's if they're going to be able to do at least one a week, but I do think that it seems to be in their DNA, the way that they play, um, the way that they anticipate. So I don't know. I mean, I I literally for weeks was like, they can't keep this up. They're going to have to win. Like Spencer Petras is going to have to win them a game on, you know, like, so how many of those turnovers, how many of their turnovers do you think, like, let's say in in those, those three games, how many of those do you think are lucky turnovers that, that, that aren't reputable of results? I don't know. Give me the numbers. Hit me. I mean, I'm, look, I like I'm for me. I'm going through it. Three interceptions against Indiana. So three interceptions against Indiana. Um, we have a lucky one because it's a tip ball from the wide receiver that goes to the guy behind him. That's a lucky inter- They can't. You can't expect that to happen every week. We saw it happen with Hawaii and Fresno State. That's not going to happen every week. That tip sometimes goes a different way. You don't. You're not there. It doesn't matter. So that's not. That's lucky. That's absolutely lucky. But then we get a forced. Um, we have a forced interception with a great break on the ball. Boom. That's a forced interception. You made that happen because you were able to read the quarterback and take that ball away. Um, you have a forced interception because um, you're forcing the quarterback to throw the football before he's ready, which is pressure from the defensive front. Pressure from the defensive front. The wide receiver is blocking because he thinks that the, the quarterback's about to start running. And the quarterback tries to force that ball to that wide receiver. The wide receiver's not looking at it, but because they play zone defense, they have all eyes on the quarterback. So guess what? That's an interception. The guy that's getting blocked makes the interception because the wide receiver doesn't even know that the ball's coming. Should have also called offensive pass interference because you're not supposed to be blocking down the field like that. Um, Iowa State, um, second quarter at the, like the 12-minute mark, it's a 50-50 ball. That's a forced interception. If you throw a 50-50 ball, which in today's college football are probably 70-30 balls because of not just the 50-50 nature of who's going to make the catch, but also the pass interference that's going to get involved with it. When you go up and take that ball away, that's a forced interception. Um, we have a tip ball INT, and... 
unforced. I'm on the fence with this because it's it's an altered path by the defensive lineman, but at the same time, ball should Bryce, um, Bryce Purdy should have thrown a better football or, or Brock Purdy should have thrown a better football. But then you have a forced interception. That's a batted ball from defensive line. Hands up, batted ball. Boom, balls up. Guess what? We play zone coverage. Guess what that means? We have all eyes on what's happening up front. If this is man coverage, this ball falls on the ground. Nobody touches it. But because it's zone coverage, which is what, which is, what is their bread and butter, they are able to go ahead and get that interception because the receiver, they find, they find the ball before the receiver finds the ball. So that's a forced interception. We got two luckies. We're talking about, and I don't, I don't count the, what was it? The, the, oh, that's, that's in the Maryland game. Maryland, forced interception, um, pressure with a low throw. The ball has to come out too hot. Talia can't get set up. Boom, pressure. We forced that one. Um, the fumble that they forced, that's absolutely a forced fumble. They, 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 they punch the ball out. That's great. Tipped INT, that one's forced because it's a PBU that turns into an, an interception. Um, a stolen, um, like, and look, we can call this one luck if you want, but two, second quarter, 10-27, um, they under he undercuts for the interception. I think that that's good defense, and that's also a product of being able to see the quarterback. Uh, fourth quarter, this is my favorite one that they had. I think um, because so we have the quarterback pressure to the overthrow interception, which I think that that when you build pressure in, that does lead to interceptions. But the other my favorite my favorite of all of these turnovers are when they is the fourth quarter, thirteen minute mark, twenty one seconds to go. It's a forced interception. It looks like cover two. And in cover two, the space for opportunity is in the middle of the defense. They roll from cover two into cover three, which is manipulating what the quarterback sees. They're changing the picture for them. Manipulate what the quarterback sees. They roll from two to three, roll roll to three. Three, you go high stick, middle safety. Middle safety takes the football away. Why? Because he thinks that he has a void in cover two, except it's not cover two, it's cover three. So for me, I think it's repeatable repeatable results. Uh, Much in the same way that Cincinnati, as a man team, you, you expect them to miss tackles or not be able to play well against the run because they're in man all the time, except they don't miss tackles because they're so good at tackling. I think that that's what we have. That's what we deal with. I think if all eyes are on it, you roll to it. And Iowa, to me, they're going to continue to repeat results. That's why, as you mentioned, they've been the leaders in, in takeaways since 2017. These are repeatable results. And it's not just because they're aggressive on defense. It's because of the type of defense that they play with respect to zone and every single one of these guys wants to find the football and get it to the get it to the end zone I love that you have a favorite Iowa turnover of the season so far that feels just on not I haven't thought about it I hadn't thought about it (laughs) this is the thing like this is the stuff that I think about like I have but they're not the only team that I have a like I love like I love with San Diego State when he was healthy uh, Taylor Haskins, like his 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 ability to get down the his in man coverage, him taking the ball away. I love that. I love maybe one of my in. I have a favorite. I excuse me, Indiana shot play came against Cincinnati where they ran a takeoff, then they ran an out and up, and DJ Matthews caught a ball on a Cincinnati corner because they ran a clear up. Same thing with UCLA. That play, and I know they lost this past weekend, but the play to what is it, Dulcich? The play to Dulcich with the fake screen to the clear out where he catches the ball in a shot play, that's that's one of my favorite plays of the season. So, yeah, I have, like, Specific small little mini plays. moments. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, so, so I think that I, I'm with you that I do think the way that they play makes it replicable. I don't think they're going to get seven turnovers 
in every game. Um, no. But however, you know, th- this is clearly part of the way that this defense works. And what's interesting, I think, in the Penn State game is that you've had a Penn State offense in Sean Clifford who, um, you know, I think I think it's it seems it feels like Clifford's been really improved, you know, with with on with his legs and just decision making. He's had John Dotson. It's going to be fascinating going up against that secondary, um, you know, and and their defense has been has been really good and really solid. And I find that the flip side of that then with Petrus, who you know we we's coming off his best game, but we still haven't you know it, it's clear that you know there's there's going to be times um, where you know maybe he's not going to get a short field and he's not going to have um, you know production from the defense and you know they're they're figuring out their offense and they're going to be up against a Penn State defense like there, there's just a lot of interesting layers to this I think and I wonder where you know with when you look at Penn State. What jumps out at, at their five and zero start? What what feels different than than last year? Where do you see growth? I mean, they, look, they they still don't run the ball particularly well. No, but they are in the top twenty in the country when it comes to explosive plays, play specifically pass plays. They are, I think, sixteenth in the country in pass in long pass plays. They have, um. And, and and to me, that says a lot about what they're doing. Like, when I look at it, like, they're top 30 in long plays in general of 20-plus yards. They're top 25 in plays over 30-plus yards. So they're an explosive football team. Uh, they're a team that is, you know, they have eight 40-plus eight – eight pass plays of 40-plus yards. They're explosive. They go down the field. They challenge you. And with that challenge – and we saw it this past weekend with, with Michigan and Wisconsin – if you challenge someone down the field, you don't have to complete all these passes, but if right. you challenge them, it does provide you space both in the underneath and intermediate to throw the football to guys who are open because somebody has to cover down the field, and it does open up some things in the running game when you when you have to do that. And so they are not a good rushing football team, speaking of Penn State, but they are a timely rushing football team, and I think that's important because when they have to run, when they have to try to pick up yardage, they have the ability to do that, and that ability is all built into – what they do down the field. It's Dotson, but it's also um, the, 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 um, the Parker Washington coming on. He, his, the, the, the coming on of Parker Washington has been really, really interesting to see. This is a guy that's their second leading receiver, and he's become someone who does feed. Everyone's worried about Dotson over the top. So what do we do? We find this other guy underneath, and guess what? That's a first down. So I think they do that well. And defensively, I mean, I'm, I love – I think Jaquan Brisker is probably my favorite defensive player to watch. Um, he is, I mean, I know that's rough to say. I got a lot of guys I like to watch, but he's, he's very high on the list and there's not a lot of people that do everything for their football team, but he is one of them. He'll fill up a stat sheet. And so as long as he's healthy and he's in the game, cause this is a guy that's been hurt time to time to time to time to time and time again, but keeps coming back and finding a way to stay in the football game or get back in the football game, whether it's riding the bike or getting a rub down or whatever it is, he's always there to make a play. He's killed two football games for them uh, with the with the pick against Wisconsin, and then obviously the the almost pick, but ball back down on fourth down against Auburn. Yeah, and j- just to underscore the the run game um, because you know this could easily be a factor um, that decides the game is just you know it's they they were better against Indiana, but they're still 
struggling on like third and short, fourth and short. It's it's kind of those, and and this isn't necessarily just this year's team. Um, you know, someone pointed this out to me that this has been a multi-year thing, but it's it's like you know, short yardage when the other team knows you're going to run, and that's when you know you you've got to be able to go between the tackles or something. You got to be able to pick up those yardage and and. Can they do that? Noah Kane doesn't seem to be fully healthy. Um, so there's right. just there's just we'll have to see. There's we're just waiting to to learn more about that. And I, I think they're better running the football when they don't seem like they're running the football. Is that's kind of my that's kind of the point that I'm getting at is you have to give people the like yes, they throw the ball down the field plenty. Make that a part of it so that you're able to that's where they that's where they still yards in the run game. Is when Pete, like, if you, if, and, I mean, this goes back to what Alabama did this weekend, which was magical, and I absolutely loved it, but it, Alabama was making a, a statement and proving a point. And for Penn State, they have to make, they got to do things a little bit differently because they don't have that same, they don't, they don't play six linemen. They don't play six linemen for a quarter of the game the way Alabama does. And they, their five linemen are going to be the guys that are moving, whether it was Wisconsin, as we saw, or in some cases, Indiana. And obviously, I don't think this weekend against Iowa, I don't think they're going to move those bodies with five guys. And so, to me, third and short, the reality for them is going to be, let's let's make them worry about long. Then we can run when we have to. Yeah. And, and so, I, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm going to be at that game. Um, we'll have more on that next week and next week's Power Hour. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we get out of the Big Ten, though, wanted to hit briefly, Michigan-Nebraska is more interesting than it looked a few weeks ago um, when we saw what felt like a different Nebraska team or, or possibly that week zero result against Illinois is going to be one of the ones where we look back at the end of the season and it's it's one of the most confusing results of the year because Nebraska is really playing a lot better. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, Northwestern, that defense is, is nowhere near what it, we're used to seeing out of it, but still – um, they did what they wanted, and, and so it creates a more interesting game. Michigan comes off of its first win in Madison since 2001. We know Wisconsin's down. We know Wisconsin's got offensive problems, but still a big win for Michigan, still the kind of benchmark game that they usually don't win. Um, and, and, you know, I know a lot of people have made a lot about this idea of you know, it's the first time Jim Harbaugh's won as the underdog. And, you know, I don't know why anyone favored Wisconsin in that game. But the idea that Michigan would go into these games against ranked opponents on the road and not win them is something that has been a a common issue, a common sentiment during the Jim Harbaugh era. And they, they go into Madison, they win. They're figuring out some stuff in the passing game. Um, J.J. McCarthy's getting worked in, too. He played um, some interesting packages and usage in the second half um, in particular. So do you think Michigan-Nebraska ends up being a good game? Does does Nebraska have enough juice to scare Michigan? Um, 
I'm very curious to see what their what Nebraska's um, rushing defense looks like, and that to me is kind of the that's the big I don't know that's kind of the linchpin here, right? They're what a top fifty in rush defense, and so the the key for them is going to be bottling them up and then then playing to over the top. I love. Uh, was it Cam Britt Taylor? I think he's a quality quarter. I think JoJo Doman is a really good hybrid player. Uh, as a guy that can, he's a was a safety coming out. Of, was he from Colorado? I think uh, safety coming down into the box and then being able to make plays in that intermediate to shallow area. So I, I think that defensively they're they're going to have to take a uh, they're going to have to take a hard look at this Wisconsin game. Uh, you think about that like first quarter, first touchdown that Michigan threw. They did challenge. There was eye candy. You have to. You gotta. You gotta be disciplined. Stick on your diet. Don't worry about the eye candy. But there's eye candy with a jet action to a to a play action to boom. Get set up in the pocket. Go over the top for you know 35 yards for a touchdown. And you have to. If Nebraska's disciplined in that regard, I think they they're gonna have an opportunity to, for this game to be what what Harbaugh is comfortable with and what Frost probably doesn't love a ton, but it's going to be a, like a slog. And I think if you can, but it's about being disciplined in that regard. And, 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 and obviously goodness gracious, Wisconsin and the turnovers, like I, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, I think that this should be a good football game. I, obviously it's on my, it's on, it's a circled game on the list to watch. I think it can be tight, but if you start falling for this eye candy, you start looking in the backfield, you get your head stuck too far up your linebackers as a safety, and the next thing you know, they're putting the ball over the top on you. Yeah, I, I think that could be a sneaky good game um, just based on you know what we've seen from Nebraska in the last few weeks. And um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on the game I was at this past weekend, which was Cincinnati-Notre Dame in, in both of those teams. You know, coming out of that game, I wrote – that if Cincinnati goes undefeated, let's have the college football playoff conversation. And what else can they do? And you go undefeated, and the committee decides that they probably shouldn't have put you at number seven. They probably should have dropped you back down. Let's come up with reasons to to make sure that this isn't even close enough at the end of the season. And this year, if you go undefeated, you have two power five opponents that you had on your schedule. We know how hard it is. Can't control the AAC to being down. Um in a weird year where there's lots of flawed teams, the Bearcats certainly have their own flaws too, but why not give them a chance? So that's what I ended up writing. But I think it was, it really, it ended up being a more interesting game than it looked for a while. It looked like Cincinnati was going to run away with it for a stretch. And I think if they had scored on the drive coming out of halftime, it, it could have gotten that way. Um, but Drew Pine is an interesting storyline to follow now for Notre Dame are they switching quarterbacks and what do they get out of him what does the ceiling look like with him and then Cincinnati's defense looked great but their offense took a little while to get going you've got Luke Fickle kind of banging the drum now for a Desmond Ritter Heisman campaign there's just a lot coming out of that game Cincinnati's first road win over a top 10 team in its program history. Clearly the biggest win in program history. What did you make of it? What did you learn about either of those teams? Um, I think everything is the same. Thought Cincinnati was going to win going into the football game. They did. I thought Cincinnati was going to, was a better football team than Notre Dame. They are. Thought Cincinnati defense was one of the best in the country. It is. And, 
I don't know, like, are are we jazzed about a guy that went nine for twenty two? That's that's what we're excited about for Notre Dame going forward. Yeah, I think I think so. Wow, I that's mean, not good. I don't. I, they they're looking for they're looking for anything right now. Sure, you can I mean <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. Like, are you kidding? Like <laughs> nine for twenty two? Not that's not even half. So I, I just for me the game never felt close. No, and it didn't feel close. Even when Cincinnati stalled out on offense, it still felt like they're one thing away from something happening. It never felt that way for Notre Dame. And obviously you throw in and Michael Mayer and hopefully he's okay. And he's healthy because he is their offense runs through him because they cannot run the football. And I don't know. I think this is we in a, in a, in a Saturday that showed us a lot of really tremendous defensive performances um, from Alabama, from Georgia, uh, obviously, I think Cincinnati belongs in that same realm with the way that they get things done. I think that there is something um, heroic, something remarkable about being willing to kind of hang your ass out there, playing man coverage almost exclusively, I, I, to the point where as they built that two-score lead, they started to play zone, and I was getting mad because then they started giving away these little – these little like chintzy passes and that's not what they do. Just play the thing that you play, stay in man. You've got Ahmad Gardner, stay in man. He was great. And Deshaun Pace is one of my favorite players to watch in the country. He's so good. He's, he fits into that hybrid safety linebacker size wise. He's only like two eighteen, but and they line him up. And this is, I don't know. This is a stroke of genius from Luke fickle. They line him up between six and eight yards off the ball instead of that traditional four to six yards off the ball from a regular linebacker. They line him up that far off the ball, and then he cleans up a bunch of mess. And it's beautiful to watch. It's really cool. It's really fun. And then obviously you throw in was Devers, Beavers, Devers, Devers, and, and, and DeBlanco, and like DuBlanco, and they got these guys that can make plays. Everybody tack- they tackle so well. I don't know there's a better tackling team in the country than Cincinnati. I absolutely think they belong in the discussion. At the end of the day, especially with what happened in the Pac-12 with Oregon and Stanford in the overtime, like they're going to be in the discussion. I think that Oregon clearly has a better win than Cincinnati. They have a better win than Cincinnati can, can ever get based on the schedule right. we have right now. But at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. Like it's And obviously... Well, it's more, it's more of an opening, right? Like, it's an opening, it makes it a question, and then does Oregon lose again? Like, you know, well, that's right. That's the whole thing. It, it, it makes, like, the, 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 the razor's edge is incredibly sharp for, for a lot of teams, uh, whether it's Ohio yeah. State or it's, um, obviously, you mentioned, um, uh, you mentioned we, we've mentioned Oregon. I, um, I will say this. I'm applauding Texas A&M, out the paint. Florida, out the paint. Don't got to worry about them anymore. Don't have to do radio hypotheticals about, well, what if this, this, this? I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes itself out. I just, my takeaway from that game is Cincinnati is very good defensively. They will, they're going to continue to try to figure things out offensively. And, but man, again, that's a defense, like, I love to watch it. Like there's, against I think there's a play against Indiana where pace comes down it's man coverage. I, I love this. And it, we're seeing it all over the place. We're seeing it at Oklahoma, too, where instead of running all the way across formation with motions, teams are trading and rotating. And I think it's 
really to the defense's advantage. And just for the record, all you spread offensive guys with all your motions, you've brought this upon yourself. And defenses have finally adjusted. Instead of having my nickelback run behind the linebackers all the way around the formation for you to put set up a bubble, guess what? Now we're trading it, and now we've got a guy who's actually in position. But anyways, one of my favorite plays is against Indiana where pace comes down and you see – Tight end goes across the formation to go pick up the out the defensive end. Runs coming down inside. The hole's about three and a half yards wide. Big hole, great hole. Pace punches the guy down right there in the hole. It's a beautiful play. But they tackle so well in the open field. And you have to when you play man. Because everybody, with the difference between that and who are we talking about with Iowa? The difference between Iowa and Cincinnati is Iowa has 22 eyeballs on the football every single play. Cincinnati has... Six, they got eight, they got they so they probably have 12 eyeballs on the play, 12 versus 22. And it's it's great that you, so you have to make open field tackles because you don't have that same rally capability when a wide receiver is gone down the field, you're also gone down the field. Yeah, I thought the tackling was really apparent. Um, you know, and you, when you watch them in person, it's just it, it was really impressive. Love sauce, I like how you're calling him his full name, but we gotta we gotta get sauce in here because it's just a great nickname, sure. Um, Sauce Gardner, just like it just rolls rolls off the tongue. But yeah, I, I really like them. And I think one of the cool things is we talk about these teams that we, you know, are that we buy into that we really like this year. They're all great defenses. And this is, you know, in this era of college football, I feel like we do so often talk about the spread offenses and the different wrinkles and offense being, you know, a little bit ahead of the defenses. And it is it is pretty cool to see, you know, well, okay, I would say cool. I would also say, like, terrifying and just really frustrating to watch Georgia's defense, right, and to see people try to go up against that and, and have no answers. Um, and then, you know, you, you talk about Iowa's defense and the way that they play and the takeaways and Penn State, you know, and, and Cincinnati. Like, there's just, there's just a lot of really great defenses that we're getting to see this year. And, you know, in, in terms of the playoff picture – you know, we talk a little bit about Oregon, talk about Ohio State. They each have a loss now. ACC is eliminated. You mentioned a couple other teams that are essentially eliminated. Notre Dame mm-hmm. has a loss to another team that would be in playoff conversation. So, you know, you're talking about two teams that were in the playoff last year in Clemson and Notre Dame that aren't there. Um, and then, you know, maybe Oklahoma, they look shaky, but they don't have a loss yet. But maybe it's, you know, Ohio State or, you know, whoever, right? Some of these teams that we're used to seeing in the playoff – and I just think, A, it's great for, for Luke Fickle and the program and everything they're building at Cincinnati to have to keep this alive for the rest of the season, to, to this, this idea that they might have a chance, um, even though we know how hard that is for a Group of Five team. But I just think it's, it's, it's good for all of us because we've kind of guaranteed some, some fresh meat in the playoff. And I know that not everybody loves the playoff or the prism that we talk about the sport, but... I, I just think that that stuff ends up mattering for, for fans who are, you know, kind of loosely paying attention to the national scene or care about my conference did this, my team did this, you know, what's happening in the other part of the country. That stuff does matter, and it, it sort of gets back to the conversation we had a million times over the summer, which is about access and um, engagement and, and reasons for playoff expansion. So I, I just love where we are six weeks in. And, you know, you know, everyone's tossing around the words parody and, and all these different things. You can talk about, like, what's wrong with Clemson? What's wrong with Oklahoma? What's wrong with Ohio State? But 
the idea of getting to spend a ton of time talking about Cincinnati's defense and, and putting it in the category with the other great defenses in the country, that's fun. And I think that's great. And, and it's a level of respect and, and storylines and interesting stuff that, that we don't always have. And so um, just wanted to. I'd say we always have them. I'd say people just don't care about them. Well, that too. <laughs> that too. That gets us to to a, another topic I wanted to make sure we got in. Um, because, again, not everybody talks about these things. Um, and outside of Cincinnati, I have not heard much conversation about some of the other group of five teams. Even even some of the ones that we're, we usually do keep in, in, you know, a second screen on. And, Felder, I know that you love Mountain football. West football. You love all of these levels. ECU, you love all of these levels of, of, of football. So let's talk about some of the group of five teams people are not paying enough attention to. Like when when you're looking at the schedule this Saturday, um, any listener out here, and you're thinking about, hey, let me let me let's take a peek about somebody, or let me let me adopt a different team that I want to kind of adopt this year. Let's go. Who we got? Who you like right. the most? Well, I mean, if we're if we're talking about the schedule this Saturday, obviously Coastal they take on Arkansas State. That's going to be that's Thursday night, no problem. But. As I get when I get into it, like I am one, my both of my parents, my parents met at ECU, uh, so that is I've outside of playing football at UNC, I have been to more ECU football games than any other school. We used to go to Dowdy Ficklin all the time. You can find me in Ficklin, first down Pirates. Like I'm all in on them. They are they're starting to turn a corner. I did not expect them to like they should have beat South Carolina. I expected I did not expect them to 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 to, to beat Tulane. They were able to get a dub there. Holton Allers is uh, incredibly mercurial as far as quarterbacks go. Uh, a guy that just I mean they got to figure out how to wrangle him in. Like he's you know seven and five touchdown to interception ratio, but. He, him, and oh man, who's my guy at Arizona? McLeod, him and McLeod, like something, something's gonna happen. Sometimes it's gonna be very good. Sometimes it's gonna be very bad. And it's not like the Graham Mertz version of things at Wisconsin, where it's just like waiting to see how bad it's gonna be. It's more like exciting and 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 and, and fun until it's very bad. But Holton Allers is a, um, I, he's been interesting to watch for East Carolina. Obviously. Um, Mike Houston is is trying to turn that proud program around. Uh, I think that they've got some really good young guys there. So if you're going to get a chance to watch ECU, I'm going to watch ECU all the time. They play UCF this weekend, which is an interesting one because they've got their own set of problems, right? Like they've they they it's been wild to watch them with the the battling back against Boise State, the the um. The, the, oh my gosh! Now I can't remember. Like the other, they had to, they battled back against Boise State. They the crushing loss to Louisville, which was, I mean, flat out devastating. And then you add insult to injury by losing your quarterback, and then you go out and lose to a Navy team that I don't think is particularly good. So I, I love I love watching them play. Um, UTSA is gonna like I'll tell you what UTSA Western Kentucky, that's gonna be on Stadium. So watch Stadium.com if or Stadium if you have it like. That's going to be, if you like points, that's a game to watch. Uh, Zappy, I hope Zappy's healthy because he got beat up a little bit against Michigan State last weekend. But Frank Harris is a dog. And if people don't know who this guy is, he's going to have at least a cup of coffee in the NFL. This kid can play. And watching him over the last, like, three seasons go from 
uh, as I mentioned before with like McLeod, a high energy guy or in allers, like a guy that has some energy is going to make something special happen to now harnessing that power of what he can do and understanding where the ball needs to be and when the ball needs to come out. He's been really um, awesome to see. So I think UTSA is a T and, and Western Kentucky too. Like they, it wasn't tight against Michigan state. It wasn't tight against Michigan state, but it was a ball game where you did feel like if Michigan state made a mistake or two, then we'd be looking at a one score game as, as we sat in the fourth quarter. So those to me, I'm, 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 I'm locking those guys. Oh, and by the way, Nevada too. Um, you want to see a quarterback that has control over his football team? Carson Strong has his coach's complete confidence and total control over this offense. Like, watching Carson Strong last week against Boise State, when he got mad at his coach for not letting him go for it on fourth down when they were already giving Boise State the blues was remarkable. And obviously, I think there's something interesting about Boise State where – they're a football team that, man, we talked about it with UCF and, and, and they're kind of up and down, up and down, up and down. Boise State kind of fits into that same, same zone. I think that, honestly, I think that that loss to, I think they have two losses that have been devastating to their psyche and I don't think they recover for the rest of the year. They got BYU coming up and that's going to be a rough game. But the way they lost to UCF after being in control most of the game was tough. And the loss to Oklahoma State, and I will say this, I said this on the, on Campus Insiders, talking to your colleague, Matt Fortuna, I will say this every time that anybody asks me about Oklahoma State, they are a team that should have one loss. It was a remarkable one-to-one getting screwed. Not a, this was a bad call and then this happened, but a one-to-one of, Boise State is a one-to-one of being screwed. J.L. Skinner picked up a forced fumble and ran it back for a touchdown that should have ended the game with Boise State as the winners, and instead they blew it dead. This is not the same as the holds that went uncalled against Florida State, or the holds against Florida State that went uncalled. Uh, in that ball game this past weekend, this is a one-to-one instant touchdown that just, ugh, brutal. And I, I get it. I do think that Syracuse got screwed with those calls, but I don't think it's nearly as one-to-one as what happened with J.L. Skinner. Uh, I th- <laughs> I love just how detailed the rundown is of, of all of this and the hot takes still about penalties and, um, and calls and decisions, um, which I respect. I love it. Um, <laughs> you're still you're still so mad about it. I, I love that. I respect well, it, that. And it, the prop and the biggest problem for me is it happened to a defense. Like and the whole time right. to a defense, and that's very frustrating. Also, nobody else made a tackle <laughs> until he was already thirty yards down the field. That's you. Somebody else is supposed to be somewhere. Everybody didn't get held, but this was a defense having something taken away from them that are so hard to earn. We talked about it with Iowa, right? How do you earn these turnovers? And to have a turnover that's earned like that be eliminated is brutal. Just don't just don't blow the whistle. You can always go back, but you can never go forward if you blow the whistle. Just don't blow it. That's all. I actually feel like this year we've had people <coughs> wait to blow the whistle for that reason in a lot of games. Sure. Like I, I actually think like as uh, nationally that has been better than usual. Sure. And I know Mississippi State fans are going to be upset because of what Memphis was able to do. Was that Memphis? That was Mississippi State yes. Memphis. Yes. Yep. And I am, I'll tell you this, that's one I don't care about. Why? Because it's one of my favorite rules in all of football that nobody even knows about. 
that if the kicking team, if the punting team touches the ball, the worst case scenario is you get the ball where they touch it. So you should just always pick it up and do whatever, which is why a punting team should hand the ball to the ref instead of just touching it and go moving on from there. And I love to see that rule in action. It's one of the first rules that I didn't know about playing high school football that I learned going to college. So I finally got to see it actually in action, and I'll take it any way I can get it. Well, that leads us into last call, because I feel like we're, we're celebrating stuff. We're venting about stuff. Um, I will go first. Uh, mine is a rant this week. So, so last call is always a segment where we rant or rave. It's something we would do at two in the morning at the bar, um, you know, cheers to something. We're, we're, we're extra riled up. We're ranting about something. And mine is about fans booing their own player. Now, we talked about this a little bit with Spencer Rattler and the Oklahoma fans chanting, we want Caleb, his backup, mm-hmm. and then straight up booing their starting quarterback. Um, and I, I, I was, it was jarring. It was, it was really uncomfortable to watch from home. It's I'm sure it was really uncomfortable to watch there. Like this is your dude. You're booing your own player and chanting it back. Like he, he can hear you. He can hear you. And in a much, much smaller scale has happened at Notre Dame this weekend when I was there and it was, so obviously the, the fans want Drew Pine to be playing. And so he comes in for a snap and everyone cheers. He comes out and it's, I believe it was Buckner, and uh, everybody boos. And then Pine ro- jo- starts to jog back onto the field, and everybody cheers again. And I just don't understand. Like, I, I got the point. I get what you were trying to do. But I don't understand the point of booing your own players to make that point. And I get that quarterback play can be really frustrating across the country. That everyone's, you know, the joke is always right that the most popular guy in camp campus is the backup quarterback but to do it in a way where you are chanting or booing your own player to make that point I, I just I don't like it I I feel like fans it's been a weird place over the last year since we've come back to games and you know you had issues at NBA games and fans getting banned for life and all these different things but I almost just feel like people forgot how to be around other people and kind of forgot that in these situations, you're the fan of your team. You should be nice to them, even when you're mad. And they, these are college kids that are not professionals, that are not getting paid salaries to do this. And they can hear you. They can hear you. They can hear you booing them. And I just feel like it is really inappropriate. Now that it's happened twice, it, it was nowhere, again, it was nowhere near the same as the Rattler stuff. But I just don't like it. I don't like it. It needs to stop. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it sucks, and you're being a lot nicer to these people than I am. I think that they live under the shroud of anonymity that allows them to say whatever. It's the same thing with people with random avatars on Twitter that talk a bunch of trash to to players who do stuff that they could never ever do in their life, or even like people that talk trash to you. And they live under this "nothing bad can happen to me" world, and it sucks. And I think it. I don't know. I'm. I, I think it absolutely sucks. It's one thing to be like booed, heckled when you're the opposition coming into, you know, yeah, quote-unquote hostile territory. It's part yeah. of the experience, right? You but it's, an, it's another thing to have your own fans turn on you. Um, me, I'm, I am, one, shout-out to the Chicago Sky, up 2-1 on the Sun in the, in, for the WNBA playoffs. Super hype for them. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out. 
Uh, haven't watched as much as I was before, but mostly that's because I'm tired of watching sports now that we're in the middle of the season. So, um, but the big thing for me, I'm going to end up, we didn't get to talk about Alabama. I know they've talked about Alabama before, but I just want to do cheers to Nick Saban for hulking up. Like, that's what I love. I love to see it. Like This was, and I kind of alluded to it, after, after only rushing for 91 yards against Florida, Nick Saban looked at himself, he looked at his football team, and he said, hey, man, that's not going to cut the mustard. So obviously against Southern Miss, they go out and do what they got to do. But the real key was here against Ole Miss, and people were like, well, maybe it's just because Ole Miss runs that 3-2-6, I'm like, no, 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 no. Because he could have beat the heck out of them by pushing the ball all over the field and looking cute and being fancy. He, this was not about Ole Miss and their defense. This was about Alabama, their inability to convert some, some third and shorts or, or fourth and shorts against Florida, and their inability to move bodies. And they said, you know what? We're going to move bodies. By the way, write this name down, Kendall Randolph, number 85 for Alabama. He is an offensive lineman. And he's an offensive lineman in their 12 personnel packages that wears 85. So they treat him as a tight end. What they're actually doing is playing a six-man offensive line. You throw late two in there. Now you've got six and a half offensive linemen in the game. And they run the football. They shoved it down Ole Miss's throat. There was no adjustment to make. There were no personnel packages to change. And I hope Jason McClellan finds a way to get healthy because he's gonna. I think he's going to be really special at some point. But... I really like to see, and, and it's a direct response to how bad they were against Florida running the football. I think there's a little bit of a response to how good Georgia has been running the football and people calling Georgia the most physical team in the country. And Nick Saban, it's one of those things where, listen, you don't tug on Superman's cape. And he sat there and he said, listen, you know what we're going to do? Brian, do you, do you know prior to Saturday what Brian Robinson's career high carry total was for a game? Take a guess. I got, I got nothing. Get, Tell me. Get, get, he ran for 36, 36 times on, on Saturday. Just take a guess. Just give me a guess. Venture a number. 18. 13. 13 was his high career carries. They ran the ball 36 times. He ran it 36 times. 36. That is not, oh, well, Ole Miss's defense. That is, I am making a point. We're going to force this issue. It's going to happen. And I don't know, for me, that was just, it, it's, again, it speaks to the essence of why I really appreciate and respect Nick Saban. I, I love the, the pettiness that lives inside of him and the idea that yes. I'm, I'm going, like, because he wasn't making just a point to beat Ole Miss. He didn't just go into the game to win. He went into that game to put it on film, to let everyone know, you're on notice. We can push people around too. And... He, he made his team have to do it. Like, this is, this is kind of the equivalent of when your mom makes you do something because you've done it wrong multiple times, and then your mom's like, no, I'm going to stand here and watch you while you put the dishes away because you keep messing up. And then you do it the right way, and she's like, so you can do it the right way. We'll go back to having fun now, but at least I know you can do it the right way. So when I ask you to do it, you're going to do it this way. And that's the whole thing with their run game. You didn't do it the right way against Florida. I want to see if you can do it the right way. You can do it the right way. That's the way we do it. Like in the, in the what is it, in, in the words of, 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 of Marcus from, from or no, in the words of Mike Lowry from Bad Boys, 
when he when 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 Martin Lawrence is driving the car and he go and Mike Lowry said, from now on, that's how you drive. For Alabama, from now on, that's how you run block. From now on, that's how we run the football. That's what we do. When he says, that's how you shoot. From now on, that's how you shoot. From now on, that's how we run. And I love that about him. I think we're gearing up for a really epic SEC championship game where heavyweight, like this is, we don't get this a lot um, in turn, like from a boxing standpoint, but at least we're going to have a heavyweight fight and we're going to see two teams, like barring something wild happening, two teams that can eat a punch and then deliver a blow. And I like that. That's what I, that's the type of, that's the football that I like, like going through and, when you find out that Alabama ran, if they came out for 80 snaps, and I know that some of those snaps got eliminated via penalty or um, late timeouts, but you run 20, per, you run, you run 12 personnel 20 times out of 80. That's a quarter of your plays. Let's rock and roll. And then you also run 20. You run 23. You run 22 and 13. Let's rock and roll, baby. They they want to be tough. They listen. Last year was nice, best offense ever. But Nick Saban wants you to know he's a tough guy. That's it. Yeah, I I, I love calling that hulking out. Um, I, 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 I just really love that. Um, so let's wrap there on the hulking out. We will watch them continue to do so. And thank you as always for listening to power hour. If you're not already an athletic subscriber, you can sign up at the slash Nicole for a very special deal on an annual subscription. There will be one true pod later this week in the feed with Max Olson, Jason Kersey, and Sam Kahn, Andy Staples, new dad Ari Wasserman. They'll be around the feed this week. And we will be back next Tuesday for the next episode of Power Hour. For Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks you, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.